Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Alex Combesi, co-founder and CEO at Discard, to the show today. Alex, welcome. Thank you, Ben. Hi. Right. Well, great to have you here. Let's dive right in and tell us a little bit about your background. I started my career in finance about 10 years ago. And while I didn't particularly love the finance aspect of it, I learned a lot. And what I did end up doing was falling in love with the data part of finance. I was working on the corporate side. Um, and after this, well, natural next step, I did some strategy consulting, still with a lot of data side to the job. And it was around 2014, 2015. And in France, where I was working at the time, it was really the beginning of the era of um, big data and analytics. And we were starting to see premises of what was called machine learning. That term sounds old today where we talk about artificial intelligence and AI. And I, I found this topic so interesting that being on the business side, I decided to make a switch and go back to school to train myself, get a formal education in data science. And without diving into too much details, I went down the rabbit hole, became a data scientist, then became a software engineer, still working on building products around machine learning and artificial intelligence. I spent five years at Dataiku, which is a, now a famous AI software company. They have offices all around the world, a big presence in, in the US. And at Dataiku, I, I learned massively also on the business side, like, you know, scaling from a company of 40 people to now they're nearly 1500, a lot of things change. And working a lot very closely with AI, building products around AI, led me to develop some frustrations, especially around the safety, the reliability of these systems. And this is actually what led me. So I'm a scratch my own itch entrepreneur because I was living the pain and I thought that it would be valuable for the AI community as a whole to have tools to, to test, to ensure the safety and the quality of their AI models. Yeah, I love that background as a finance person myself. So yeah, data, we love data and finance, right? And then you took it to data science and then became a software engineer. So dove right in. So that's awesome. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about your company. Tell us what products and or services does Discard offer? So we offer a ready-made software to evaluate and debug AI models from AI models that work on tabular data that potentially you could use in finance. Like some of our customers have fraud detection use cases, which are extremely important for fintech companies, insurance banks. But also we will release in a few weeks, a module that enables to evaluate and debug large language model. And this is really in the need of the hour, especially as regulators starts to ask AI developers to put in more safeguards and guardrails into the LLMs that people use. Yeah, interesting. So we know, right, we've heard, of course, chat GPT and that Google release barred. So would it, so for me, who, who doesn't know the technical details of AI, but, you know, say these big AI engines are these large language learning models, you know, and then so we're saying developers are incorporating those into their products. So you're then testing those end products that have AI embedded in them and not really like, evaluating chat GPT itself. 
We could. It's just that there are a number of alternative options nowadays. You don't have to use ChatGPT. Actually, a lot of sensitive industries are building their own large language models. Uh, that is more specific to your use case. And that makes a lot of sense because in regulated industries where safety is very important, banks, insurance companies, the public sector, healthcare, they want control on the data and the, the model. So mm -hmm. from time to time, I mean, and we respect their choice. They go with, you know, building their own LLM versus integrating with the OpenAI API. Having said that from our perspective as a, you know, a testing company, we, we precisely help people that want to use AI to be able to compare their different options, whether it's ChatGPT, whether it's other options, and to have a kind of, you know, this radar comparison that you, you, you have if you're into stock investing, right? Being able to very quickly evaluate an asset on different dim dimensions. And, and our job is to make that possible with AI models. Can you give us an example, say a bank, you know, would they want your product for two reasons? One, just internally to evaluate and debug their own AI models, but also maybe they have to show something for compliance reasons. That's exactly what you said. Yeah. These are the two reasons. The reason today is really about making AI more robust, more reliable. So being able to debug, to test your AI model drives immediate return investment. If you take the example of a fraud detection model, and we here we can help detect some slices of data that are biased where the model is underperforming. And if you are able to detect that before the model goes live, and then it helps to find the right fix, that means your model is better and more ROI. But the problem that we solve for tomorrow is precisely compliance to regulation. And what we are seeing, E.T., is that and we very, very recently, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, was audited in front of the U.S. Congress. And, and I mean, rightfully, he pushed for a, a regulatory agency to, to come in, to be created, to audit models. And the exact same thing is happening in Europe. Last week, the EU AI Act was voted to a huge majority. And these regulations are going to come into place at the latest 2025, right? But these, like getting audited, like the list of requirements is fairly long. And like we, we've been on this seat, we've been developing AI, and we, we want to empower data scientists to still continue to innovate, right? To have a tool that they can trust, will check the compliance of the system, without them like losing time. Uh, so in our view, the, any conformity assessment, compliance to regulation should be something that is by design and that is very easy to implement. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it's, it's helping one, say like the example you said, uh, say a fraud detection model for a bank to help them internally improve that, you know, and to evaluate it, but also just to provide some transparency so it doesn't seem like this black box and we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. And also to prove, maybe to prove, like you said, to regulators or those other parties who have to also be, I guess, feel good that the, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Absolutely. I, I think transparency for a lot of folks with or without regulation is key for a bank advisor to trust an AI model to make a judgment, everyone expect to understand why the AI is giving a certain recommendation or another one to get some transparency. And actually like transparency will be required by regulation. 
Yeah, well, obviously, the really interesting fields, you know, just in the beginning here. So tell us, when did what year did you found Giscard? We founded Giscard in 2021. And you know what, at that time, this topic was extremely untrendy and viewed as boring. We got refusal from just so many investors that just did not understand what we wanted to do, would just challenge the fact that there was a problem in the first place like this. And, and I mean, it's really, I think, even myself was not expecting that a chat GPT like event would happen. And suddenly like you, you would get this massive adoption of AI in the public and thus a, a, a spike in terms of awareness to the AI risks. Because uh, having said that, all of these were already written in the stars, if I may say that, because you had a considerable body of research starting in 2018, 2019, around the problems of explainability in AI, around the risks that were fairly well documented. There's one example that is particularly striking, kind of horror story. Zillow, a very famous US real estate company, asked their data science team to build a pricing algorithm to, for their automated home trading system. Mm -hmm. And it turned out this AI was slightly biased. It was slightly overestimating prices because it was trained in a time of relative market stability. And then COVID hit, and so the market dynamic changed. What people usually do in this context for trained finance professionals is backtesting. Right? You run a lot of simulations in the market and you get a sense of, of your risk, right? And that kind of uh, like a wisdom, that kind of method is unfortunately not very easy to apply in the world of AI. And in any case, it wasn't done in their case. And long story short, they lost half a billion dollars because of this tiny bias and they're shut down their entire operation, fired all the data scientists. And unfortunately, these are economic risks that are huge and which are real, can happen to other companies investing in AI today. And well, fortunately, we started long enough in 2021 to get started building a tool to help alleviate those risks. Yeah, and, and great example that you provide there. I read about that Zillow case, which was really interesting, you know, the, the buying and selling, you know, and just kind of that, the mass decision making and using data science and AI to do it, which eventually, you know, didn't work out for them. You know, so great, great yeah, example of, of why we need to continue to evaluate this. And where, where are you guys located? Do you have a headquarters or, or regional location? We're still a fairly small company. We're 12 at the moment. So we are all based in France. Headquarters are in Paris, in Station F. It's the largest incubator in Europe, which is super nice. We're looking to gradually expand in other countries in Europe and in the US in the next two or three years. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've heard of Station F. Yeah, that's interesting. So 12 staff. And anything you want to share around your revenue range, ARR size, or your pre-revenue? We are generating revenue with some pilot customers. So it's the beginning. We, we spent the first year of existence investing in the tech, in the R&D, because it's insanely difficult to test AI models. It requires, like we, we hired researchers, some actually from the US, who to help get the right methods from research into something that is applicable in a tool. And actually we got 12 pilot customers in total and are in the process of converting gradually them to a subscription model, 
Uh, our okay. business model is, I hope, quite straightforward. We offer a subscription for an AI use case uh, where it's all about reducing the risks that this AI may fail. So it may be different. We have a customer with a fraud detection model. We have other that is using AI for customer understanding. Those are different types of risks. And so we adjust accordingly. Yeah, that's great. So 12 pilot customers. So tell, tell us, you know, maybe to help the other founders who are at the same stage, you know, just launching that MVP. How did you find those initial 12 pilot customers? Oh, great question. It was really tough. I, I don't know if there's a recipe for getting these, I think, to, to get the first customers. We had to talk to nearly 100 because you need people who, A, have time, B, are interested in your innovation. And again, I, I want to be quite humble in the fact that like my experience relates to building a, a company that is a brand new category, right? When we talk to people, they don't know AI quality assurance. The huge majority do not apply today, right? So you're, you're really in a position where you, you don't even want the early adopters, you want the innovators. And so you have to be super selective. But we, we found 12, a mix of large companies like CGI, a large consulting firm. Some were really small startups that were primarily selling AI products. And then we established what's well, quite standard, it's actually our, our investors who introduced us to this mechanism, like building a design partnerships, where really you have a very, very tight communication like with a design partner, they have a real say in what they want out of the product. And you, you, you shouldn't have too many because you do want, like from a week to week basis, to be able to make changes to the product as a request. And we learned so much actually out of this phase of design partnerships that's where we learn all the core user preferences and capabilities that people were absolutely needed to launch in the beginning of June, we launched Discard 2.0, which addresses a lot of the issues that were discovered during these. And if you don't do it, I mean, when we started out with like a blank canvas and like all in theory, actually, like a lot of our assumptions were proven wrong by actual user testing the product. Yeah, interesting. And I love that. So, you know, not just the early adopters, but you really, really need those true innovators. And, and you're right. I didn't think about this. You're creating a new software category here. And, and it probably takes a whole another type of pitch just to educate the, those early innovators. So really interesting. And, and anything you want to share on how much capital you've raised to date? We've raised a pre-seed round last year, 2022, of 1.5 million euros, which were primarily to build the, the core team of engineers and researchers and help me out a little bit also build the sales and marketing function because right now I'm leading the sales, marketing and finance functions, but I have a, an account executive and a growth marketer to also help me out, which is of great help. But it was pretty sudden. You also have, like, as part of the CEO, like a new role of hiring, which is extremely important. You want motivated, you want amazing and rare talent. And you need to manage the growth, like scale up operations in terms of admin finance, because we went from, we were, we were three a year ago and now we're 12. Doesn't sound like much, but quadrupling does require a few things to change. Yeah. 
yeah yeah makes a lot of sense and and yeah i could see that 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 pre-seed round and just a very it sounds like a very detailed complex product so building out those that initial team of engineers and researchers and with that seed round any lessons that you'd like to share with the SaaS community or founder community on that? You know, was it, did you have a product at that point? Was it purely just selling your vision? Tell us a little bit about anything you learned from that fundraise. Wow, it's a, such a multifaceted question. I'll, I'll try to be brief. I'll mm -hmm. take three points. One, we did have a working prototype but what really mattered in the end was the vision because we were in pre-seed um, and not just the vision, but the ability to explain the vision in less technical terms, because two years ago I was like, my job was coding, right? So it's sometimes hard where you're a bit too close to a computer screen <laughs> to be able to explain things in simpler terms. My second takeaway from the first fundraising Again, I'll try to be very humble because that was the first fundraising that I did in my life, right? But the second takeaway is to be a bit more selective in terms of investors to make sure that, especially in pre-seed, that you have people that are really aligned with and your vision. We spoke to a lot of people that were very generalist investors and we, we, we were kind of wasting each other's times, right? Because I was like, what we're doing is a very technical product. It's a developer tool, which I totally get it and respect the fact that for many people, like they won't understand. In the end, we ended up like having a set of investors which are really technical. And I think they brought a unique lens also because you don't want just money, you want advice. And we, we got like really just amazing entrepreneurs like the CTO of Uber, as are invested in the round, the CTO of Hugging Face, a major AI unicorn as well. Our lead venture capital partner was an amazing fellow who had sold the company to Twitter and previously built, like he was building open source companies uh, in the 90s. And just like, these are the type of folks that really understand like the particular difficulties of building an open source developer tool and can really guide through the growth process. And that's step two, I don't have a step three. No, that's great. Love that advice. So really you had that working prototype, but it was to explain that vision. Also in less technical terms, I get it because you're so living that world. Sometimes it's hard to see that bigger picture. And then, yeah, that investor, the founder investor alignment with that value and vision. Yeah, really, really great point. And so currently at your stage of your business, is there a favorite number or metric that you're focused on right now to guide your business? The most important question and the North Star, right? What is our North Star? Right now, we made a strong decision that our North Star should be product stickiness, not just product adoption, because if you have like a, if you launch a marketing campaign and you get a thousand users on your product, but they don't come back after a month, it means your product has not reached its market fit. And right now, this is our number one goal to get people excited about the product. They start it and they stay, which means for us, because we are a tool for to operationalize AI model, that they actually integrated in their production workflow. And that's the number one KPI that we want to have for today because we, we know that 
once we unlock this product market fit, it will open a lot of doors so that we can switch the North Star metric to be more revenue driven. That's great. It's a product stickiness, not just adoption. So Alex, really appreciate your time today. As we wrap up here, what's next? What's coming up for Discard that's new and exciting this year? Two things. One is the launch of Discard 2.0, which will include the testing and debugging capabilities for large language models. So if you want to join, there's a wait list ready for you, savegpt.ai. And second thing, we are going to plan a next round of financing in order to fuel further growth because we're seeing a lot of appetite on AI safety and we want to address more types of AI models and more markets. That's great. That's great. So launch at 2.0, test those large language models, and then the next round of financing. So Alex, really appreciate you sharing your experience and your lessons along the way. If listeners would like to learn more about your company, where should we send them online? Uh, Giscard.ai, so G-I-S-K-A-R-D.ai. All right. So check out G-I-S-K-A-R-D dot A-I to learn more about Alex and what they're doing at Giscard. So Alex, really appreciate you sharing your experience today. Thank you so much, Ben.